One of the biggest problems facing senior business leaders, CEOs, individuals, founders, everybody, is how to build and sustain excellence. One of the most difficult things to do is be able to recruit talent and keep talent. The model that is gonna help you as a leader or you as an individual be able to sustain excellence. Hello, hello, and welcome to, or welcome back to, the Raise Your Game Show. I'm your host, Alan Stein Jr., and thanks for tuning in to Season 12. This season will be focused on sustaining both individual and organizational excellence. More specifically, what it takes to manage stress, avoid stagnation, and beat burnout. Which, not coincidentally, is the theme of my new book, Sustain Your Game, which is currently available for pre-order and will launch worldwide on April 12th. I wrote Sustain Your Game with a simple premise. Each of us will always be under construction, a work in progress, and constantly evolving. The goal is to be moving toward our highest potential, toward making a meaningful contribution, and toward becoming the best version of ourselves. My friend Reese Davis of ESPN, who was kind enough to write the foreword, says it brilliantly here. I think if you're going to reach a goal that some people would say is too lofty, too high, or unattainable in some people's eyes, you have to continue to to pursue it. I guess at Alabama they like to call that the process. So uh, Kobe Bryant once told me that it was like putting pieces of a puzzle together. You have to enjoy the process or the puzzle building in order to get the end result that you want. This season will highlight some of the top lessons and strategies directly from the book. Check out SustainYourGameBook.com for a sneak peek, to join my exclusive street team, for bulk order bonuses and bundles, or to pre-order a copy today. Alright, that's enough self-promotion for now. Let's take a closer look on exactly what it takes to sustain your game. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Preparation is a sign of respect. Respect for others, respect for your craft, and respect for yourself. High performers in both sports and business take their preparation very seriously. They trust, respect, and appreciate the steps. They make their preparation their separation. From 2009 to 2016, I traveled the world running my cutting-edge clinic series. These were three-hour strength and conditioning workouts for middle and high school-age basketball players. A typical session had around 60 players working out and around 30 coaches observing. I always made it a point to arrive an hour before each workout started. Why? Because what I saw in these players before we began was going to tell me just as much as I'd learned by observing them during the actual workout. Maybe even more. As soon as I arrived, I would casually and inconspicuously sit towards the top of the bleachers and observe the players entering the gym. Within a few minutes, I could easily put every single player in one of two buckets those who were waiting for the workout to start, and those who were preparing for it. The waiting group was usually in their slides and had on headphones sprawled out in the first row of the bleachers, either hunched over their phones or messing around with friends. The preparing group was already laced up and on the court, doing some type of warm-up, stretching, ball handling, form shooting, and they were building up a solid sweat. By the time I began the workout, They didn't need to shift into competitive basketball mode because they were already there. 
Do you want to take a guess by an overwhelming majority? Which group ended up performing better during the actual workout? In a competitive arena, the benefit of preparing when others aren't is so obvious that it's surprising to me how many don't do it. Of course, this makes it that much more valuable. The best example I witnessed of a player preparing at a clinic happened in Halifax, Nova Scotia in 2010. I was there for a long weekend running multiple workouts for hundreds of players, but one player really stuck out. Nate, a seventh grader at the time, was a tall, lanky kid who arrived at the gym an hour before the workout started, just like I did. He was standing outside waiting for the host to open the gym doors, dressed and laced up with a ball under his arm. As soon as the gym door opened, Nate hustled inside and started working on his game. He was polite, enthusiastic, and always locked in. When each workout was over, he continued to work on his game. I mean, at the end, the host had to kick him out of the gym just to close up shop. That young man, Nate Darling, ended up coming to DeMatha when I was the performance coach there. He played Division I basketball at the University of Delaware and is now a rookie for the Charlotte Hornets. Darling started preparing for the NBA a decade before it happened, which is exactly why it happened. Preparation has a lot to do with what is called a locus of control. Put simply, there are two types of loci of control. Those who have an internal locus of control believe they affect events around them. Those with an external locus of control believe that things are happening to them. Think about your own locus of control. When something happens, good or bad, do you focus on your role in the matter? Or do you focus on the circumstance and outside factors? Well, study after study have found that those with an internal locus of control, remember, just the feeling that they affect outside events, universally perform better in a variety of situations. It helps to have an internal locus of control, even in situations where you are not in control. The feeling alone has a huge effect. So you can focus on what your colleague did wrong, what your client can't see, and what your boss doesn't understand, none of which you can have an effect on. There's more than enough you could look at when things go wrong. Those things are there. But what good does that do? Think about the area within your control and focus on that. Again, the issue is not whether or not you actually have control. Everyone will have varying degrees depending on the situation. It's in the believing that you do. If stress is the feeling of the world imposing itself on you, then preparation is how you push back. I've had a chance to work for two different Hall of Fame caliber high school coaches, Stu Vetter at Montrose Christian and Mike Jones at DeMatha, and I learned so many powerful lessons from each of them. Coach Vetter always tried to make high-pressure decisions during times of low pressure. For example, he would decide before the game started his exact strategy for dozens of scenarios, like what play to call if our team was down four with 15 seconds left. He didn't want to have to draw up something new during the heat of battle when the team's emotions were high. Coach Vetter would keep these scenarios on laminated index cards and pull them out as needed. If we were down one with four seconds left inbounding the ball under our basket, he would pull out that card. Before the players took the floor, he would remind them, you've got this. We've run this play a hundred times in practice. A situation that would normally cause distractingly high stress became just another play to our players. Coach Jones would have our starting five practice breaking a full court press against seven defenders. Two more than are allowed on the court. 
Other times, he'd put rules in place during a scrimmage like no dribbling, which forced our players to be more efficient at moving the ball. No, Coach Jones didn't do this to make our players miserable. In fact, it was the opposite. Coach Jones wanted to make practices so difficult that the game itself was a relief. He also adhered to Coach Bobby Knight's maxim, before you can win, you have to know what loses. Coach Jones would often say, I think we're going to win. But if for some reason we were to lose, what would be the one or two reasons why? Did we get out-rebounded? Did we not contain their guards? Coach Jones would get our players to answer those questions thoroughly so we could plug those holes in advance. That's preparation. Stress speaks in unfamiliar or overwhelming situations. We can't always attack in the moment, so the wisest move is to prepare before the high-stress moment arrives. If you do, it just might not show up at all. High performers have long embraced the power of visualization, picturing success before it happens in reality. And visualization is incredibly powerful. In the 1960s, Australian psychologist Alan Richardson ran a three-week study to see if visualization actually improved performance using the game of basketball. He used subjects with little experience with the game, and his findings were stunning. There were three groups. One, who practiced free throws every day for 21 days, but never visualized. The second group practiced free throws on just the first and last day and never visualized. And the third group practiced on the first and last day, but visualized every day in between. Remarkably, this third group, who practiced only two days but visualized the rest of the time, improved almost as much as the group that practiced every day. Why does this work? Because when done properly, your brain understands visualization as practice, even if it's all happening in your head. By pre-visiting the moment in your head, you are familiarizing your mind with the situation and allowing your body to adjust to how it will feel. It's something of a magic trick. Bottom line is this. The biggest difference between high achievers and average achievers is in how they think and in how they prepare. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for investing your time with me. I hope I helped you sustain your game. If you're open-minded and committed to investing in yourself or your organization, please visit SustainYourGameBook.com for a sneak peek, to join my exclusive street team, for bulk order bonuses and bundles, or to pre-order a copy of my new book that launches worldwide on April 12th. Your support means more to me than you know. 